Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Talking Ponics. Thank you guys for tuning in again, or if you're the first time listener, thank you for joining us today. Today we have a great interview. We are interviewing Victor, and uh, he has a lot of great things to say. So enjoy the episode and share it with a friend. Hello Victor, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to be here, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, thank you for coming on. So uh, before we begin, how about uh, you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Victor. I am the host of the All About Life uh, with VIC podcast, where we encourage, motivate, and inspire people to be the best they can be through the psychology of success and how to be effective communicators and interact effectively with other human beings and just work on those communication skills. So if uh, our listeners, you know, you guys want to check me out, just you can find me on iHeartRadio. You can find me on Spotify. You pretty much find me anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts in and just search all about life with VIC. And because, and I didn't do this on purpose, but because I'm the only podcast with that name, I usually come up at the top of the search results, which was pretty cool. It wasn't that on purpose. So hit me up, guys. And, you know, hopefully my podcast can add some value uh, into people's lives. All right. Well, so we'll hop right into it. Where, where do you lie politically? Do you consider yourself left, right, middle? I am independent. You're uh, yes, even registered independent, because I don't I don't like to lean either or because I like to I'm the type of uh, citizen, if you would, that I want to know both sides of the story. I want to know where the Democrats lie and I want to know where the Republicans lie. So one of the benefits of registering uh, in as an independent is being considered what you would call a swing voter because people don't really know how I'm going to vote in any particular year. Is he going to vote Democrat? Is he going to vote Republican? That's all they're thinking about. So I get flyers from both sides. Like come election year, my mail will get full of a bunch of Republican materials and it will get full of a bunch of Democratic materials. And that's exactly what I want. Yeah, you like to get all the information. That's uh, I, I myself am a registered independent as well. The only problem with being an independent, depending on where you live in California, if I'm not mistaken, is a closed primary. So oh, yeah. let's say, so I can't vote in the primary election over there. Which oh, is, wow, really? Yeah. Uh, you need to be a registered member of the party to vote in the primary in some states. I did not know that coming from Massachusetts. Um, yeah, I never, I never had that uh, particular issue uh, there. Uh, and now I'm in Florida and they don't have that here either. So that's news to me. That's wow. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of the elect, the electoral things, voting stuff that I think is probably wrong with the system. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, that I mean, need to be changed as far as the, way the voting uh, gets done and gets counted because uh, it leaves a lot of people feeling like their vote doesn't count. And it's another reason why there's not a lot of times a lot of turnout with uh, with voting uh, because people have this thing where, well, you know, especially with some of the um, electoral college representatives that are not honest. 
So, for example, the state will vote, uh, say, primarily Democrat, but the electoral himself or herself are Republican, and they'll cast the whole state's ballot as Republican when the most of the state wanted Democrat. Um, so that's one of the issues with that as, as well is managing the honesty of the uh, electors themselves. Um, so, I mean, that's a whole issue within itself as far as politics is concerned. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, for this upcoming 2020 election, is there any candidate that stands up, stands out to you? Right now, um, man, the, the one candidate that I do like, and uh, right now I'm drawing a blank, um, is the, uh, the Asian guy there. Andrew Yang. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Because, um, you know, a lot of the things that he's saying is just common sense. Um, so, you know, he, I'm keeping a close eye on him. He's, he's tending to kind of even rattle the cage within the own, within the own party, with, within the own Democratic Party, if you noticed, on some of the things that he says, because it's, it's just, it's not really Democratic in nature. Um, and, and so, you know, he's one to watch, because I always like people that can think for themselves and not necessarily will to to the or dance to the party's tune that they belong to, but they can roll out ideas uh, um, that are for the people, and that's that's what I look at when it comes to looking at candidates. Um, so he's one that I'm keeping keeping an eye out. Do you have a policy of his that you like? Um, what was he saying? One of the things that he was saying um, with as far as policy is concerned, um, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is one of the things he's talking about is getting Americans, I believe if my mind serves me right, a thousand dollars for being a citizen. Um, and am I, am I right on that, on that number? Uh, yeah. Uh, his policy is a thousand dollars a month. It's a universal yes. basic income. So yes. instead of everyone starting at zero dollars, Everyone starts at twelve thousand a year, and and so I agree with that. Um, and it's affordable as far as uh, you know the United States is concerned, and it's a, it's in par with what other countries do as well. Um, and so I th- I I like that. Um, it'll help a lot of family, um, you know, with a lot of supplemental income that's needed. Um, and so you know that's one of the things that kind of caught my attention. Uh, with him, uh, especially when he said that on the when they were doing the uh, Democratic debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, okay, that's interesting. So that's one of the things that kind of caught my attention uh, on him. And and of course, you know, he's already talking about growing the economy as far as he, he takes the middle class into consideration, like with the jobs. Um, he has a plan as far as, um, you know, adding numbers, I believe is he's looking within the five to 10 year range, uh, to have more than 4 million us jobs added on the market. So he's already thinking about the market in general and getting, you know, getting people, um, trained up as the market keeps growing. Um, you know, because right now we're going towards a society where it's more technologically advanced, 
And so as we keep going, as far as with, you know, um, the renewables, those jobs are going to start changing. And then there are jobs that you need to get prepared for and leave certain industries um, alone as well. Um, so with renewable energies coming in, with um, needing for more skilled laborers, um, he's he's looking towards that as well. So I, I, I like that about him too. Yeah, that's one of the things about him that stood out to me. His he, He's very big on there being a lot of more skilled labor, like taught in high school or wow. even even after high school, where instead of peop, a bunch of people going to get degrees, which in large part is starting to become less and less useful, but all these skilled jobs like a, like a mechanic or or a construction worker, where there's these jobs that do pay well, it's just they're labor jobs and there are certain skill set that a lot of people aren't actually going and getting training for. Oh yeah, and, and the, uh, see I'm one that I believe that we need to ramp up our public education system to give people a choice, you know, because not everybody is going to flourish uh, within academia and not everybody's going to flourish as far as, you know, working with their hands and things like that. Um, so students need to have a choice on which career path and uh, they want to do. And we need to revamp our public education system so that it not only means something to the students, but it gives students options on the things that they want to pursue. And because this cookie cutter, you know, let's just teach everyone the same across all boards is just not working. I mean, and I think what we're 35th in the world now, as far as education is concerned, um, when we were what top five. Uh, so we need to get going on that too. Um, which is another thing that, you know, we we're just talking about Andrew, as well that he's serious about the education system and really bringing it up to where it needs to be so let's say uh, andrew yang or any of the other democrats one of them is going to win the democratic nomination do you think that they have a chance against trump ah uh, that you see the the only one uh, that i would say would have any any opportunity with Trump as far as if he still has the following that he did back in uh, 2016 would be Bernie Sanders. Um, right now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Biden is the one that's leading uh, the Democrats uh, as far as the uh, national average. Um, and I think it's him and Elizabeth Warren, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but if anybody, if he still has the same following from 2016, of course, this is my personal opinion, Bernie Sanders will be the one that can possibly take on Trump. Um, because the thing with Trump is he began a movement and that's what makes him a powerhouse. So he transcended politics and came into a, a movement and he recognized that. Um, so when you're talking about a movement, you're talking something that's even more than just political. 
Um, and that's what Bernie Sanders also did in 2016. I mean, I still remember when I watched the 2016 election, Trump was selling out stadiums. I mean, you could not fit another soul in stadiums. But so was Bernie Sanders in the West Coast. You went to a Bernie Sanders rally? You better get there early or else you were not going to be able to get into the stadium. I mean, and we're talking stadiums. Like, you know how hard it is to fill uh, a, a whole stadium? Yeah, well, uh, some football teams can't even do that. Exactly. Um, and so I think if anybody has an opportunity and if he still has that movement behind him, Bernie Sanders would be the one to have the best opportunity against Trump in a, on, a, on a primary a presidential election. So uh, a large problem I see that that Bernie's probably going to have for this primary season is that, so he was far left in 2016. Yeah. And Hillary was not as far left. So him, just like Trump, they both had certain issues that kind of propped them up. And that was like their main issue. Trump was immigration and Bernie was universal healthcare. Now yep. the democratic party, almost the entire democratic every candidate almost agrees that there should be universal health care. So that's a problem I see going forward for Bernie Sanders, just because now his ideas aren't so unique anymore. It's like they're following. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And I agree with that. Um, and, and also I think that the, the, the Democrats, strategically speaking, they need to uh, break out from the whole thing of trying to jump on each other's bandwagon and not be afraid to propose things unique to them. Like you were just saying, Bernie Sanders' idea of universal health care in 2016 was like the Bernie thing. Um, and, and right now, I don't know that, I mean, I don't know that any, any of them other than, that's why, that's another thing that jumped up on me about Andrew Yang with the whole, you know, um, giving people, uh, citizens money, uh, just for being citizens in the United States. Like that's to Andrew Yang. Like I will always remember him. And that's one of the things that is, is, um, is, um, individual to him. So the, the other candidates need to find something other than just continuing, uh, to say that things aren't working or that presenting problems, with without actually giving some sort of substance with solutions behind it or just saying you know how bad of a job trump is doing you know i hope they don't they don't fall into those pits because you know they they may lose it if they do if they don't come up with their own individuality where you can say okay this is what i stand for as an individual um you know and that's that's what people look for as far as a president and, and a, a run for the presidency. Um, so they're kind of, in my mind, in my opinion, they're kind of meshing together. You know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking, what I'm looking for as an independent voter is fresh ideas and how those ideas are going to, uh, you know, the plan behind those ideas. That's what I'm looking for. 
you know, I know already know the education system is uh, is flawed and needs revamping. The healthcare system is flawed and needs revamping. Um, a lot of the universities as well um, need also, you know, to get out of and trying to indoctrinate people and get back into really the academia of things and really start teaching people and, and just, you know, for example, teaching history without a bias, um, just teaching the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, you know, we need to be informed in, in, in all sorts of things. And, you know, life is not pretty. And, and so the education system as a whole needs revamping. Um, you know, I know we have issues with student loans and there's kids uh, that graduate um, college and they're in a catch 22 because yeah, they got a bachelor's or a master's degree, but they're also, you know, $75,000 in debt or a hundred thousand dollars in debt. And if they can't find a job in their industries, they have to settle for something because the bills still need to get paid. Um, you know, so there's a lot of students out there that are drowning in debt and are not even working in the industry they went to school for. To me, that's a problem. Um, and I and I keep hearing politicians in general tell me about the problems, but what I'm looking for is how are we going to tackle these things? Like, forget about bashing each other. Forget about, you know, uh, the whole pointing fingers and saying, I know you are, but what am I? And let's get to the issues and let's get to fresh ideas that we can all, as Americans, join together in and, you know, start getting on, on fixing some of these issues that are outdated and, and we need to get fixed. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot that we see is what I've realized from the democratic primary debates and all that. And what most of them say at their speeches and all that, a lot of it is just anti-Trump. Not not necessarily. Here's the problem, and here's how we fix it. It's just uh -huh. anti-Trump, anti-Trump, anti-Trump. Which I think is an issue because, like you say, people want solutions. People want you to say something that makes sense that they think, okay, that will make my life better. Oh, exactly. No, that's exactly, and because I mean. Uh, these guys, when they get in, um, the, the policies and the ideas that they bring out, um, or let me rephrase that, the policy, the ideas they bring out all have a opportunity to become policy. And once it becomes policies, then it affects you and me. It affects our lives here as citizens of the United States. Um, so when you're out there bashing another candidate and, and just bashing Trump, um, it, to me, it kind of scares me to vote for you because I'm like, well, I don't know where you stand on things. Like, and even when you tell me you stand, you know, how you feel about something, you're not offering me solutions. Like, I need to know how are you going to put these ideals in place and how will you make the policy to the point where it benefits the United States and its citizens? Um, and yeah, like you said, bashing Trump is not going to do it. And, and if the Democrats get caught in that again, uh, it will be, it's not going to be hard for, uh, Trump to beat them on the primaries. Um, because again, the man like him or not, uh, the man started a movement 
And, you know, the things that he's saying, he's saying because he knows it's resonating. Um, and even if this, if you don't agree with the solutions that he puts forth, he's still putting forth something. So the Democrats need to also put forth something to combat what Trump is doing. So like, don't, in my view, don't tell me how Trump thinks. In my view, tell me the policies you disagree with with Trump and how you intend to either um, support or fix those ideas that you either agree or disagree with as far as what he's doing. So, you know, for example, uh, if you don't agree with his immigration policies, that's fine. What are you going to do differently in immigration to make that system better and work more effectively? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. It, just to go back to 2016, if, if you compare Trump's and Hillary's campaign, what you see is Trump just saying, uh, immigration, 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 uh, China's cheating. Uh-huh. And he, he's saying stuff and saying like what he would do against them. And then I, I, I personally still to this day don't know what Hillary's policies were. I, <laughs> her policies, every time she spoke, it was anti-Trump, anti-Trump, anti-Trump. I don't know what she stood for. The the with with Hillary, um, she she stood for a lot of the uh, women's rights. Um, uh, she definitely brought out the whole um, issue um, with just like the the inequalities um, that are in society. The problem she ran into is she gave into the tactics. She took, okay, I believe, I, I don't know her personally. There's no way that I can prove this uh, one way or the other. So guys, this is just my opinion. This is just Victor talking. Um, <laughs> uh, this may not have been how Hillary felt, but <laughs> in my opinion, she fell into Trump's game and she fell, she allowed his um, demeanor and his accusations, because he threw out accusations against her as well, to get to her in a way where she was unable to really put forth the policies and ideas that she really stood for and that defined Hillary Clinton as a whole. Mm -hmm. That's the hole she fell into. That's why you right now can cite some of what Trump stands for but don't know what she where she really stood on anything. Yeah, exactly. So let's uh, shift the conversation over to Trump. Mm -hmm. So you're an independent. What are some good and some bad? That, that, we'll start off with good Trump. What's some good stuff <laughs> you think he's done? All right. Well, first of all, one of the good things that I've always agreed with is taking care of our veterans. Um, so the fact that he revamped the VA was amazing. Um, I have family members that are actually, I have family members currently in the military. Um, I have family members that are retired from the military. Um, you know, one of my, uh, cousins, it was a 20, 
24 year. Yeah, I think 24 year uh, veteran and of the army, and all he did in his in all his time was infantry. Um, so it was very frustrating to me to see him come back from war when he got back from Afghanistan. Um, and, and the stories he would tell me about all the sacrifices he made, uh, the fact that he was blown up in his hum, literally blown up in his Humvee twice, um, from an IED in Afghanistan, um, all the times that, you know, he, his life was almost taken. Um, and for him to come here and, and try to go to the VA and get help and just be treated indifferently and, all the hoops that would make him jump. To me, that seeing that was frustrating. Um, so the fact that Trump revamped the whole VA system to make it more, not only customer service friendly, if I may put it that way, but make it soldier friendly, because that's what they're there for, is veterans affairs, um, was, was awesome. Um, the whole stimulating or giving incentives for companies to come back to the United States that had left the country um, was great as well, you know, to create, well, really to give the jobs back that were already here um, from companies that went to Mexico and went to China and, and went to, um, you know, different parts of the country um, to do business just because it was very, not only affordable, but profitable for them. And I mean, let's not kid ourselves, companies and corporations are there to make money. So if you're a businessman and you can make more money anywhere else, then you're going to go to that place, even though your country of origin, you may leave a bunch of people without jobs. Um, so his stance on being tough on those corporations, I think was a good thing uh, to America. Um, so those are the first few things that I think of when I think as far as what he did, you know, coming in and, and as far as good Trump. Um, and what else? Um, that he did uh, and getting rid of the mandate as far as what the Affordable Health Care Act had. Um, and now I'll flip it from there. Now, the Affordable Health Care Act was good. Here's where it went wrong, in my opinion. It did not provision for cost control of the healthcare insurance companies. Um, and the way that Obama went about that was instead of telling insurance companies, listen, you cannot just, you know, overcharge somebody uh, or charge someone $500 a month and give them scrap for services. Like, if you're going to charge this, you better provide everything. You know what I mean? Um, you know, you can't price gouge people on healthcare just because they have to have it. Uh, what he did instead is he just did the, with the taxpayer money and used it to give taxpayers back a certain percentage to, for them to be able to afford um, healthcare coverage. Now, not everybody like myself, was able to afford it because what some of these insurance companies did was, okay, you're going to give a break. So our policies just got a little higher because now we know because of the mandate that they placed um, that people are going to want to get health care. It's going to create anxiety on people. And they took advantage of that. So because 
cost control was not handled in an efficient manner, um, the whole thing was ineffective as far as the Affordable Care Act. The, it, aside from that, it was awesome. And, and that's what I thought, you know, when Trump was talking about revamping the Affordable Care Act, that's where I thought he was going. I thought that he was going to put the insurance companies in their place finally and say, listen, you, you can't, you know, do this um, price gouging that you've been doing. Getting rid of the individual mandate, you know, was uh, that you, you have to pay if you didn't have insurance was a good thing. But again, did not handle the core issue, if you want to talk about healthcare, which was cost control of the insurance companies themselves. Um, you know, when you have uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, charging people uh, $250 for uh, healthcare coverage, especially younger people, and then you're going to say you're not going to cover this surgery, you're not going to cover this other thing, and you're not, if you go to the ER, you're going to have to pay a deductible or copay of 25 or 50 bucks and all that. It's, it's nonsense. Like if you're going to charge 250 for an individual plan, you better cover all that stuff. Um, and, and so that's one thing that, again, I was disappointed with, uh, with Trump is that he didn't tackle those insurance companies um, head on. And that's one thing that I, I mean, I, I don't know if it'll happen as far as uh, with politicians, just because the insurance companies have so many lobbyists out there and, and so many things that so many strings that they pull, but we need someone that can put them in their place. And that's the first step really, if you want to really get into fixing healthcare um, and still kind of using the affordable healthcare act or even the current system that we have as a, as a, template we got to go to the source of of it of the issues which are the insurance companies so what do you think about the idea of a universal health care though so everyone gets health care no matter what it's paid for the only the only thing that i'm worried about with uh because i mean that's basically um me paying for for my health insurance uh, via taxing because the government doesn't have their own money. The government uses the money of the taxpayers, our money. Mm -hmm. uh, so we put into the system and they use, they collectively take that money collected and then they disperse it to society and across the country. Um, so everything the government does, they do with our income, with our money uh, that the taxpayer pay into the system. Um, the only thing that I'm weary about with, with any time the government takes over anything is how effective they will be in its execution. Um, you know, even when the, I don't know if you remember when the Affordable Care Care Act first rolled out, and I mean, they took a lot of taxpayer money for a website that, I don't know how a website costs millions of dollars, first of all, um, and then it didn't work properly for what? I think if my mind doesn't serve, doesn't fail me, it was almost two months that thing didn't even, work properly. Um, so a lot of people were even left in limbo. Even people that wanted and joined uh, Affordable Healthcare Act first when it came up, they were left in limbo. Um, so that's the only thing that worries me about the government handling directly uh, healthcare as a whole is its effectiveness, its fairness. And if politicians are really going to commit to the overall health 
of the people or if we're going to get into a worse problem where now the government has the control on the healthcare um, and with the lobbying that goes on and I wouldn't even, I don't even know how they would go about it. You know, what, what will happen with the insurance companies? How will those guys play a role in the universal healthcare? Like there's a lot of variables that I would need answers for before I jump completely on board with a universal healthcare uh, to include how much is it going to raise the taxes? Because the money has to come from somewhere. So if you're going to do universal health care for everybody, how is it going to be paid for? And how is it going to affect the, um, my taxes? How is it going to affect my income? How is it going to affect the market? Um, you know, is, is how will the market react to a universal health care uh, system? Um, so all those are questions that I would like if any politicians are listening to me, I would like answers to guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so the idea itself, if it's rolled out effectively and it does not put more of a burden on the taxpayer to the point where um, you can still have a livable income, um, including with the healthcare, uh, then potentially it could be, it could work, but it has to be done correctly. And that's where, my skepticism will come in as far as the government taking it all over. How effectively will it be rolled out? How effectively will it work? How will it increase my taxes? Will I still be able to afford a livable wage if my tax, you know, if instead of taking what, like the 25%, I think they do now, um, uh, not across all of them to like, if they raise it to 50% and there are some people, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, wasn't it Ocasio? I believe it was Alexandria AOC that was proposing a tax of 60% to do universal health care. Um, and it's like, lady, we can't afford now to like right now we, we are struggling to have a livable income with people and, and with the minimum wage and, and all those struggles. Um, so I would need to know how the taxes are affected and particularly how hard taxes are going to be affected with a universal healthcare system. That, that would be my, one of my main concerns. Yeah. One of my concerns with that is like you said, the taxes is kind of concerning because I, the only Democrat that I've known to be honest about it is Bernie Sanders, where he admits that the middle-class tax will go up. Obviously, it would be to take care of the cost of the health care. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you got to find the comparison. How much is, is it going to cost to get health care on your own? And then how much will they tax you to get health care if we did it that way? And if, if a majority of lower income Americans end up getting taxed more than what they're paying for health care now, then we're going to see them struggle. Like you said, people are already struggling now. If, yep. they're going to, if the cost is going to be more expensive due to taxes, I don't see it as a more feasible way to do it. Yeah, then it, put, then it puts us more of a, in a burden. Like I'm, a, <clears throat> I'm pretty much against any policy that will add more of a burden to the regular American citizen. Um, 
you know, as I believe, as uh, politicians are supposed to be working for us, one of their main duties is to lower the burden on its citizens uh, uh, to be able to live, work, play, and pursue, like even the founding fathers say, the pursuit of happiness, you know, the, the right to live um, and live without like a heavy burden from Uncle Sam on you. Um, and so that's, you know, that's one of the things that would, would, uh, would need to be answered before I just went full on board with the, uh, with the universal healthcare. Um, oh, for example, okay. You know how we're talking about Andrew mm -hmm. and how he was doing like the, the, um, the allowance. Yeah. That could possibly work as far as with the universal healthcare. So you have universal health care, your taxes go a little bit up, but now on the side, you get an allowance from the government for being a citizen. <clears throat> so then some of that money, sorry about that, guys. Um, some of that money is being compensated back to you. So it kind of eases the burden of your taxes going up higher to pay for a universal health care system. You know, like things like that, like that could potentially that, that could have some potential right there. Well, the thing about the Andrew Yang plan that I like is if you go to his website and you go to policies and you click on freedom dividend, he has so many policies up, which he has like five times more policies on his website than any other candidate. But, and you click on it, he actually breaks down where the money will come from. So, uh -huh. so due to his math, there's really no expected income tax increase except for higher or like except for a top like one percent of pe earning people yeah uh, other than that it's just money rearranged so like instead of us spending 600 billion on welfare would be move that money to the allowance and that would pay for like a third of it. Oh, nice. So, so like he, his ideas, he actually has like how it's going to work, which is like you said earlier, part of the problem you have with going fully behind the universal healthcare is you need to know how. Exactly. Yeah. Other, other than just, well, your taxes will go up to 60%. Like if you, if you tell me, Hey, Hey, we're going to give everybody healthcare, but by the way, you're only taking home 40% of your paycheck. I'm not going to sign. I'm going to be like, no, thank you. I'm, I'm already struggling as it is right now. <laughs> uh, you know, you put me at 40% and now the market is still doing what the market will do and it's not going to adjust for that. I mean, I might as well just pick the best bridge to live under. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so the and then uh, as far as with uh, Trump is is concerned, um, the uh, going back uh, to some of the things that I did not quite agree with is the um, when he did the whole dismantling of the Dodd Frank uh, Wall Street reform and the Consumer Protection Act. Um, you know, because it kind of gave more leeway to corporations um, as far as like credit card companies and things of that nature. Um, it put a little more power into their hands. And so that I think was a mistake. Um, 
you know, the Consumer Protection Act. Out of everything, consumers need to be protected at all times because if corporations can take advantage of consumers in any way they can, they will because they're in business to make profit. Um, you know, they're not moral institutions. Uh, they're not there to, um, even though their PR department will want you to think so, they're there to make money at the end of the day. They're all about the profits and taking care of their investors. Um, and so we need to have things in place that will take care of the consumers. So anything that is done to ease consumer protections, I, I disagree with. So, yeah, that's also been one of his big talking points that he's deregulated these businesses, which it's true that to a certain extent it does help the business because they have less expenses to worry about, which is to make money. So I understand why they have lobbyists fighting against regulations. Yeah, but yeah. then again, like you said, you have to think about the, con the consumer side. Some of those regulations help the consumers to help them uh, – it's the reason why we know when we go to a restaurant that the food is going to be okay to eat. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, and here's the thing though, um, the, the regulations, the ease on those really were more geared towards the big corporations than even the small businesses. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the small businesses are still struggling, are still having uh, some of the same issues that they had beforehand. Um, and so a lot of the, the uh, uh, ease on regulations helped more of the bigger guys than it did some of the smaller guys while easing uh, the, the protection for consumers. You know, so, so that's... That's where my disagreement with that whole thing came in, um, because if it also eased, you know, some of the burdens for these small guys, that would have been awesome. But I'm still seeing that the small guys are still struggling and still having the same struggles they they were before. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, like, uh, just talking comparison from big business to small business, uh -huh. Amazon is still putting. 30% of stores out of business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is nuts. But uh, let's move on to, I guess, arguably his most controversial top or standpoint is uh, immigration. Uh -huh. Where do you lie on that discussion? Immigration, I have, uh, by the way, I'm Hispanic. And um, I have a friend, uh, well, not a friend, family member, my brother-in-law. Um, he's from Venezuela. And he came here and the United States was really open to him. And he did things, the, you know, through the proper channels. Um, and this man took, I think, what, like a decade before he actually was able to be given his citizenship, which blew my mind. I'm like, no, that should not, the path to citizenship, if you're doing things by the law, should not be 10 years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, uh, as far as the, 
wall is concerned, because that's really where the, the whole controversy comes in. The, the controversy really is, is building a wall moral? That's the whole controversy. Um, where he's failed is at explaining to people where the wall, first of all, makes sense, because there are certain parts of the country, if you go and visit Texas and Arizona and even Southern California, um, and the, the border states, what we call them border states, some spots you see is like, yeah, we, we need a, you know, we need a barrier here. Um, because not just for, to stop the flow of illegal human trafficking, which is crazy, but the flow of drugs and, and a lot of these, these, um, spots that, uh, cartels use to get into the United States just because it's a lot easier um, to go through. I mean, Border Patrol can only be in so many places at once. Um, so certain holes do need to be filled. Uh, as far as the path to citizenship, that whole immigration uh, needs to be revamped. One of the, you know what, one of the, th one of the reasons why people come here illegally is because the path to citizenship is so drawn out, so burdensome, that they'd rather take their chances coming here illegally than trying to do it the legal way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so if we can ease the burden as well to a path to citizenship for people that want to come into this country, I think more people will would more than gladly do it legally. Because uh, I mean, doing it, we think about the perspective from our view here in the United States, but if you think about it from the perspective of those people coming here, for them to come here legally, it is dangerous, first of all. They're literally putting their lives in danger. They're literally getting with people and trying as best they can, paying people off to get them here. A lot of them most likely draining their savings, their life savings to come here. Some of them even get screwed over by the person that's supposed to be like, like the good guy and the guide and um, all these things. There's a lot of people that dehydrate and literally die of dehydration. Um, so it's not like we think like they come here and it's like an easy, you know, oh, I'm just going to go from, I don't know, like uh, Guatemala and just take a stroll and just, you know, hop over the fence into the United States and boom, it's done. I'm in. Like, it's not like that at all. Um, so the, the, the wall itself, in my opinion, is not a, a question of morality more than it is a question of effectiveness and efficiency. Um, and the immigration policy needs to be revamped so that people want to come here legally and it's not a burden on, on those people that really want to come here and better their life, better their situation, and just follow the American dream and, you know, and just better their situation in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I, was, I had a guest on the show a couple of days ago and we came to the same consensus that our immigration system is kind of is extremely flawed it's uh, that's why we see people coming here illegally even if they're not trying to seek an asylum claim it's easier 
it's cheaper. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know if you know the answer or not, but to come to the United States legally, you need to have a certain amount of money to begin with. Uh-huh. So people who are looking for better lives who don't have that money need to come here illegally. And I think that's why we see such an influx of people coming here illegally. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, it's um, now to the people that do come here legally, like my brother-in-law, um, to them, it's, it's an offense and it's an affront uh, because they've jumped through the hoops, you know what I mean, of the system. Um, and, and then to have people just come in and just circumvent the whole thing, um, it's almost like kind of disrespectful. It's like if you're standing in line, you know, um, at anywhere, any, anywhere in line. And all of a sudden somebody comes in and cuts the everybody in line and then gets in the very front and then they're assisted. How does that make you feel? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, even driving around, like we drive around with that same attitude. Uh, if there's a line at a red light and someone goes all the way to the front and cuts everybody off, that's going to be a problem, especially if you're in a certain city. <laughs> uh, people are not going to take too kindly to that. Uh, especially if you've been waiting in that line and it happens a lot when, when roads get shut down for accidents. Uh, and then you see people going on the shoulder and trying to ride the shoulder all the way to the front. And then all the way you see people honking the horn until eventually a guy with a pickup or a truck will take up both lanes to make sure that people don't do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, so it's kind of the same analogy when it comes to, um, people coming and circumventing the system. Um, and, and so the other thing that we need to do as well is, is get rid of the, um, this current narrative where it, it just it pictures everybody in the same light. Um, not everybody is, is in the same light. Not everybody uh, is a drug dealer. Not everybody's a cartel member. Not everybody's a gang member. Um, and, and so... I think that we need honest border numbers as well as to the people that are coming in um, honestly. And like you said, you know, it's easier for them because it's cheaper. They don't have to jump through all them hoops and things of that nature. And how many of those people are here really for the right reasons and how many of those and the, and the ones that are here, I mean, if they have, you know, if they're running from something or, or they're, they're here to harm the United States citizen, then yeah, they need to go. Um, if someone's here trying to better their life, then you know we need to work with them. Right now, for example, the um, there's organizations on the border right now um, assisting with humanitarian support. You know, giving food, clothes, uh, and things of that nature um, to the people coming over and crossing the border. Um, and so it is also in a certain way a humanitarian issue in that sense um, where someone would get so desperate that they would come here and try to circumvent the whole system. Um, and, and that's what we need to do. We need those honest numbers. We like the bias to just get, we need to get rid of any of the narrative bias and just tell me the truth, you know, tell me what's really going on at the border. Tell me the people that are really here Tell me those that are really here uh, with good intentions. Tell me, you know, just give it to me straight. Um, and I don't know. Sometimes I feel like 
um, I don't know if it's something maybe, you know, within the, the media, um, but sometimes I feel like government officials, think they don't trust Americans enough to give them the whole truth. And that's something that drives me crazy. You know, when I have to, on top of the media, I have to do extra research to really get to the nitty gritty and really get to the whole truth. Um, and I hope, again, I hope that candidates, uh, especially coming in now, get away from that and just give it to us straight. What do you think? Well, uh, I agree that there's, well, if we're going to, let's, I'll do media first. So media, oh, there's clearly a bias. So you could, Harvard could come out with a study on immigration uh-huh. and Fox News and MSNBC will both report on it and they'll tell you exact, exactly opposite things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just take yeah. the one little sentence from the whole study. Each side will do this and just run with that one sentence. Yeah, and it, and it's, it, it drives me nuts. It really does drive me nuts because it's like, ah, just can, can you just let me make up my own mind? Can you trust me enough to make up my own mind? Uh, on issues and, and on policies and without trying to feed me any doctrines, without trying to feed me any theology, theology or any ideals. Um, just give me the facts and let me make up my own mind. Like, you, can you trust me in that? Um, and, you know, so with, with immigration, we really need to get to the nitty gritty of things. Um, we really need to encourage um, people to come here legally, but in order for us to do that, uh, we need, it's, a barrier is not going to be as effective as we'd like to think, and as some people will propose it would be, if we don't reform the immigration system altogether to make it so that people will wanna come here legally. That's, to me, that's the main issue. The main issue with immigration is it's burdensome, it's long, it's tiresome, um, and if we make it so that it's, ah, what the, what's the word that I want to use? The efficient, if we make it like it's so that it's efficient, I think that would curve the illegal immigration into legal immigration better than even a wall would, in my opinion. Well, yeah, well, like just to put in, put it into perspective, Coming here legally in in these people's eyes are so difficult that they rather make a journey either across the river or through the desert. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, they're literally risking their lives. Exactly. And that's what they're willing to go through since it's so difficult to come here legally. Because, I mean... The, the thing is with, with people that are, that are criminals, okay, you know, going back to uh, some of the narrative that people coming here, a bunch of gang members, criminals, cartels, those guys will always come here legally. Those guys will always find a way. Um, you know, how long, uh, you tell me, how long has the war on drugs been going on for? Um, it's a never-ending thing. I was born in 1980, kind of outdating myself right now. 
Uh, and ever since I was a little boy in the 80s, is dr- war on drugs, war on drugs, war on drugs, war on drugs. And it's 2019 now, and it's still war on drugs, war on drugs. Why? Because no matter what the United States has done to curve the war on drugs, those people that are really coming here with bad intentions will always find a way around. Uh, it's just it's the nature of the beast. I mean, we got cartels now that are running submarines. Um, and that's a whole different ball games they've opened up. So when you're coming in in the submarines, walls don't, now walls don't matter. Now we got to think about the East and West Coast. Now we got to think of people coming in through those, through those certain ports right there. Um, I mean, so fright. Fright is another way that now it's being used to get illegal stuff in here and, uh, and that bad people that criminals are using to infiltrate the United States. There's always a way around as far as in a criminal mind. Um, so that's, I'm sorry to be like so skeptical about it, but that's something that will never change. They will always find a way around. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, I the issue is getting, getting those honest people here, making it less burdensome on them. Um, you know, without um, burdening American citizens on the process. And and so if we get an immigration system that makes it less burdensome on those honest people that are literally not risking their lives to come here, I I really believe that um, the whole dilemma of the wall will will go away. Well, yeah, I I agree with that. If we made the process easier, more people would come here in the legal fashion, which would ultimately, the only people coming here illegally would be the people we want to catch, we want to stop. Exactly. But but you hear on the news all the time, or I've read tons of stories about it. These cartel members are coming here with a group of people just looking for asylum. Yep. And they they can blend in easier that way. Oh yeah, um, just easier because I mean, how can you know if you're in just regular street clothes? Um, exactly. They're not going around with the name tag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, hey, here's me. I'm a criminal. Uh, please arrest me upon entry. <laughs> <laughs> leave them. Leave them alone. They got nothing to do with this. Um, so, you know, and then the other thing, too, as far as what I disagree um, with, with Trump is concerned is the way he phrases things. Sometimes I'm just like, oh, man, can like does he doesn't have anyone that can at least proofread it first <laughs> um, because he'll present something and he can turn a good idea bad in the way he phrases it. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Sometimes he just needs to stop talking. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and it's it's um cuz cuz now, you know, before he was a businessman. And he has the, you know, as a private citizen, you have the luxury to talk however you want to talk. Um that's your right, free speech. Um you know, when you're running a country is a different ball game. And and so you have to when you run ideals by even good ideas, you have to do it in a way where it can be received by everybody. 
Um, and so that's one of the things that I kind of disagree with how sometimes he does things because sometimes he'll put a, he'll put forth a good idea and the way he phrases it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, he just lost like 50% of people. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be it. Like literally, and I can be like, oh, that's going to be a backlash. And literally the next few days, sure enough, there comes the, the backlash. Um, you know, like for example, the, you know, his America first policy, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of those examples. I think good idea proposed horribly in a, in a horrible way. Um, the, with the America first policy is, is pretty much, okay, first we get things going here. It, it's not the absence of being absent from international affairs, but the way that he put it, that's exactly how it came off. It came off as we're just going to isolate and it came off more of an isolationist movement, like where it was, you know, pre-World War One, and even through between World War One and World War Two, there was an isolation movement going on where we were just like, we're going to close our eyes, shut our ears, la, 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 it's not happening. The world is engulfed in a war, but as long as it doesn't come here, we don't want nothing to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how his America First policy came out. It came out almost as an isolationist policy. And that's why people revolted against it so bad and, and went against it. And then it became, it became more than it needed to be in a bad way. Um, you know, then people started uh, correlating the American First policy with um, bad nationalism, uh, with, I mean, so many, so many conflicts came out of that that needed not to happen had he phrased it in a way that could appeal to people in general. Yeah, his communication, in my opinion, has been 50-50. So the way he speaks mm-hmm. really resonates with people. People love it because yep. he talks like an everyday person. Yep. But that's also his downfall as well, mm-hmm. where if he's coming up with a foreign policy or a trade policy, he tweets it out first. Some people are going to love it. They're going to be like, he's talking straight to us. He's talking to us. You know, he's just like us. And then again, you're also doing policy by tweet. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a problem. (laughs) Well, and if you're going to do that, do it so that it can, it can be received by the majority of people. You know, like, don't do it in a way where it's like, ah, oh, we're going to do this, blah, blah, and then have a feel towards the end. And if you guys don't like it, tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to do this. And I know that uh, the Democrats are going to come and lash out against me and watch. I'm going to take them on. And, and, and it's like this this fight mentality, which I understand in a, in a certain way where you, you need to have a certain fight in you, especially if you're going to be the president. Um of the United States, because there's going to be, you know, I mean, whether you do good things or bad things, people are always going to talk, they're always going to criticize you. You're always going to get criticism, even at our level. Can you imagine at the level of the presidency? Um, So the more you can manage that, the better. But that's something that, again, I don't think Trump is interested in doing. All right. uh, We'll talk about one last issue. It's been 
pretty prevalent lately. So, you know, with the mass shootings in El Paso, Dayton, Ohio, and then even I think two weekends ago, the one in uh, Odessa, Texas, gun control. Do you think we need to ban AR-15s or do anything like that? Well, the 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 thing is, what um, will the question would be? Would that still stop people from getting their hands on weapons illegally? Uh, so that's the question, and and the thing with gun control and and kind of trying to manage that whole system is a lot of the times. Um, have you heard of any of these shooters, for example, that have gone out and done any, had a record? I don't think the one in, in Texas, I don't think that, that person even had a record. Um, you know, there was no way of kind of predicting that such a uh, person was going to snap. Um, so, you know, is, is banning certain weapons, um, going to curve somebody getting their hands on it. Um, you know, then, then we got to talk about where are these weapons coming from, uh, as far as illegally, you know, if it gets banned, cause then we got to also look at that. And if we're going to go that route, then we also got to circumvent and make sure that people, you know, and criminals aren't getting those weapons here illegally and, and what routes are they using? Um, because that's the, that's the whole deal. Will, will taking guns away from the regular citizen be able to curve those that are criminally inclined to get those weapons anyway and commit these atrocities anyway? Um, I don't know. You know, that's... Um, as far as the automatic weapons um to me in my opinion i've never owned a gun i've never had a issue with not owning a gun i've never felt you know like unsafe uh not owning a gun um and i still don't own any weapons at all myself um so i i think it's that's one of those things that until it gets into effect. We just don't know how it will help out the situation. Um, with that said, we need to also get more into why are people feeling like they need to go out and commit these atrocities? You know, what gets a human being to the point where they're so, um, I don't even know how to put it, like fed up or emotionally distraught to the point that they're going to go out there, they've made it up in their minds to go out there and commit these atrocities against society. Um, so we also need to deal with that aspect of things as well. Um, you know, and you have pros and cons on both sides of the aisle. Um, if you look at other countries that have banned guns altogether, um, they're having uh, issues with people using other weapons. Um, you know, like knives and things of that nature. Uh, so now those things are becoming an issue. Um, so I think it's, it's to the, in its core, we need to get to the point as a society to care on what is 
why are people feeling inclined to do these atrocities to begin with? Um, and how can we manage all the distribution and, and the ways that people are able to get weapons uh, in, the, in this country? And it's a lot more complex, I believe, than just, okay, you guys, no, 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 you can't use um, you know, semi-automatic weapon now, but what's the point on banning an AR-15 if people can still get their hands on one? Well, yeah. I, and that I, way, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it's hard to tell if the policies would actually work if you're mm -hmm. talking about banning guns. And uh, like you said, I think uh, I agree that the bigger issue is that it's a societal, societal issue. Like these mass shootings didn't, yeah. weren't always happening throughout our lifetime. No. It's, nope. it's, it only started about maybe 15 years ago. Like the first big one was Columbine. But yep. even, even after Columbine, we still didn't see a lot of it. It wasn't until I would say in like the past 10 years, maybe mm -hmm. that we started seeing them escalate. So something in our society and our culture has changed where people are doing it more and more. And part of it is to the Republicans argument, they've, uh, they've been saying that it's a mental health issue that we're going through, mm -hmm. which I agree. I agree with them that that is, I would say probably the main problem but I would disagree with their way of fixing it. They they come out and they say that mental health is the problem, but they're doing nothing about mental health. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and and that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, is that um, we know what the problems are. As, as citizens, we know the issues better than probably even the politicians themselves because we are living him. <laughs> you know, we're living amongst the people. We are the people. Um, so we don't, we don't need politicians telling us what the issues are. We know what the issues are. Um, you know, don't fluff me up. I need you to bring some wholesome ideas to the table and some wholesome ways on how to effectively execute those ideals and ideas via policies. That's what I need. Um, and, and like I said, it, the gun issue is a two-prong. It is as mental health as it is with the guns that are circulating. Um, and I mean, there's, and there's, there's even things that are banned now, like now are illegal to own, that people are still getting their hands on. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, that's why I'm like, ah, you know, will banning yet another weapon lead to people not because just because you say you can't do something doesn't mean the people are not going to do it. Um, you know, for example, it, it go, going to um, the, the issue of uh, weed and the issue of pot itself, um, it's been illegal for how long? And it's been classified, I think, as a, as a, as a category uh, one drug. Yeah, or something. One drug. And it's like, first of all, that's ludicrous for that to be categorized in the same category of like, you know, cocaine, um, way different, you know, uh, like I disagree with that personally, but having that be illegal has not stopped people from getting high and rolling up a joint and smoking it. 
Um, so will banning another gun keep people from getting themselves on that gun anyways? So we need to not only just think about banning weapons, but seeing, okay, where are these weapons coming from? Why, why are there so many of those in, in the market? That's, that's what I want to find out. Where are they coming from? How are they getting here to the United States? Uh, who's bringing them here and distributing them illegally? Um, you know, there's people with like rocket launchers running around, literally. Like you can, if you really wanted to, you can get your hands on that. Um, yeah, I, I saw, how? I, I saw <laughs> a news story. I saw a news story that uh, I think it was at Baltimore Airport. Someone, mm-hmm. someone had a, they checked a bag and inside their bag that had basically an RPG. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's, they somehow were able to obtain it, which is, which is the problem with banning all guns. If you, criminals are still going to use guns. This is another huge talking point for the right-leaning people. Mm-hmm. People are still going to get their hands on these guns. If you at least have them legal, some people may have a chance to defend themselves, which I agree with it to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and with that, uh, also, you know, I mean, that's, that is true. That, that is definitely true. But get to the source, you know, like, don't, it's, it leaves me feeling kind of like, all right, we're not going to do, um, just get yourself a gun. Good luck defending yourself. Um, it's kind of like the where, where the, where they're at in that point. Um, and my thing is, is no, don't just, don't just tell me, hey, go get a gun and good luck. Find out how these weapons are making it here. Find out how people are getting themselves, uh, you know, things that that are even illegal to own. Um, curve the those those inventory. Curve though that that supply coming in. It, you know, that's what we need to get to. And it's no, I don't know. There's no sense on banning yet another weapon if that weapon can still make it in and people can still get their hands on the weapon. Um, you know, just just like drugs. You know, you ban. Uh, cocaine, you ban um, heroin, you ban all these things, and people are still ODing by the thousands on these substances. Because um, just telling people you can't do that anymore doesn't mean they're going to oblige. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I, it, heroin itself is a whole nother issue. Oh, yeah. I, think, I think it's a lot deeper than just heroin. I think uh-huh. the issue stems from way deeper and we could talk for a whole another <laughs> two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. We need to get, uh, the, I believe we are um, putting band-aids on problems instead of getting to the source of problems. Um, and, and so that's, you know, politicians, um, if any Democrat is going to hold the candle to Trump, they need to come up with real solutions to issues that are going to just um, resonate with most of the people and are going to make people second guess, especially those that are really um, like really hardcore uh, fans of Trump. The, the strategy would be to get those people to second guess their own faith on Trump, if you would, mm-hmm. but just bashing and just telling what the issues are and not putting out 
substance and getting to the source of problems, if they continue just giving like band-aid solutions to big issues without getting to sources and talking about sources of things, um, I don't know. I, I, I would foresee Trump being in office for another four years. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how this pans out. And I hope politicians in general um, get to dealing with the source of things and, and get to the nitty gritty of things and, and roll up your sleeves guys and get your hands dirty, get your arms dirty, you know, um, come, come down from your multi-million dollar mansions, which I'm not against. I'm, you know, I'm not one that is like, Oh, you know, bash the rich. No, no, no. I'm glad you have those things, but get to the point of, getting to the source of issues and putting substance behind ideals and getting to the sources instead of putting band-aids on things. Yeah. We practically went full circle. We, we started off talking about that and we ended off talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was meant to be my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me, man. I, I really hope I was able to add some value here to uh, to the show and, in, and to your podcast. And, um, you know, hopefully some of these things can resonate with the listeners. And, um, you know, I won't I won't get beat up too badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, give your show another plug and uh, hopefully my listeners go out and listen to your show. Yes, definitely, guys. Listen, you want to uh, go ahead and check me out. I am the host of the All About Life podcast with VIC. You guys can find me on iHeartRadio, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your favorite podcasts from, uh, Spotify. We talk about the psychology of success, and we also talk about being effective interactors with other people, other human beings. And because if you're going to be successful, you're going to need help. You're going to be to be resourceful and you're going to need to know how to communicate with other human beings. So check me out, guys. I would really appreciate that. And I really do appreciate your support um, and listening to podcasts uh, in general as well. And uh, keep listening to this podcast uh, as well with the uh, uh, Polynix, right? Yep. Talking Polynix. Yeah, talking politics, guys. You know, don't uh, make sure you keep supporting your boy here. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Uh, you're most welcome, man. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Anytime you want to have me on the show, I'm more than willing. Uh, you know, just hit me up, man. All right, we'll do. <laughs> we'll talk.